Hey guys, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Kate. I'm Nick, and we are very excited to have Dave Rubin joining us here today. Dave Rubin is a talk show host, comedian, and TV personality. He is the host of The Rubin Report, a talk show about ideas and free speech, known for its open and direct approach to discussing complex issues and current events. Rubin was formerly an on-air host at the Young Turks Network, and prior to that, was co-host of The Six Pack, one of the top comedy podcasts on iTunes. As a self-identified classical liberal, he tackles many topics, including political correctness, mass media, religion, and foreign affairs. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dave. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. So one of the most interesting things we've heard from other speakers on our show is this concept of inflection points or times you had to pivot in your personal or professional life. And we were wondering if you could just share some of your own personal inflection points with our listeners. Sure. Well, first off, I should tell you that I asked for an iced coffee when I got here and they handed me one of these double shot Starbucks <laughs> things. So I could literally jump out of the studio at any moment, but I will try to focus with you guys. I'll see what I can do here. Um, I would say my people ask me this a lot, sort of the inflection point or what my political awakening was and I've had a bit of a political evolution over the last couple of years. And I actually know the night. I know the exact moment. I know exactly where I was sitting on my couch. Uh, it was about three years ago, roughly three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago. Uh, I was watching Real Time with Bill Maher. Bill Maher has been a hero of mine for many, many years. And uh, you guys may have seen this episode. Uh, ben Affleck was on with uh, neuroscientist Sam Harris and a couple other people. And Bill and Sam, Sam was doing sort of the protected interview, which means that you're the one having the one-on-one -on -one interview, not part of the, the three-person panel. And they were talking about uh, religion and Islam specifically. And Sam quoted some pupils, basically said, you know, that there are a certain amount of people who are nominal Muslims, who are just like me and you. There are a certain amount of people who are Islamists. That has more to do with a, uh, a politicization of uh, Islam. Then there are jihadists who want to change things through violence, et cetera, et cetera. And he quoted Pew polls. Pew is generally thought of as a pretty uh, sound uh, place to get your statistics from. And Ben Affleck, the, the famous quote is, he said, uh, you're gross and racist. And the next day, suddenly, all the blogs, all the newspapers, we're writing about whether Sam Harris and Bill Maher were gross and racist. I'm actually wording it a little softly there. They were basically saying Ben Affleck calls Sam Harris and Bill Maher gross and racist. So the onus was suddenly on these two guys to prove that they weren't gross and racist. Now, racist really is the operative word there because the amount of damage that that word can do is tremendous. Now, Bill Maher has been the standard bearer of the left. No one in their right mind would ever call him racist. Uh, he has promoted a zillion views of the left and of tolerance and all of these things for many, many years. Um, Sam Harris, I actually didn't know who Sam Harris was at the time, but this guy is a very mild-mannered neuroscientist who sort of happened to get in the religion discussion because uh, he was a well-known atheist. But again, all he did was quote pupils. That's it. He didn't uh, demonize an individual just based solely on their religion or anything. He actually took evidence and then just discussed it. Uh, for me, that moment not just hearing it that night, but the reaction was my awakening because I saw what I thought was my side, the left, the so-called the so liberals uh, and progressives especially, that were so ready to jump and destroy their own people just because they heard Batman, a little before he was Batman, uh, announce this, this crazy phrase. And the feeding frenzy to destroy these two good people who by any other measure agreed with every other progressive and liberal principle that they had ever had, the feeding frenzy was absolutely insane. 
And that moment, it was an awakening for me, but I, there are people all over the world. We, we've done fan shows on my show. I talked to a, an atheist in Egypt who's 20 years younger than me, and he, he said that he was watching it on YouTube the next day, and it was his wake-up moment. So there's a lot of people that, for some reason, I think a lot of people had been sort of seeing this kind of growing intolerance on the left, and that moment was so ridiculous, coupled with the fact that it was Ben Affleck, so it makes it sort of television-ready. And that moment for me was like, wow, I have to start cleaning up my side. I want, I want liberals to be more liberal, to be more live and let live, use logic and reason and things like that. And, uh, and that moment, it, it truly changed my life. And then just a few months later, finally, I was able to sit down with Sam on my podcast and, or on my new version of my show, uh, of the Rubin Report. And that's really when I became an interviewer and then pretty much all my success since then really spurned, uh, from that night. Excellent. That's yeah. so interesting. So I'm really interested. You've kind of coined this term, the regressive left, and said that, in your opinion, you don't think that they're particularly progressive and pushing progress forward anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious, what is your idea of progress then and how do we get there? Yeah. So first off, for the record, because people do uh, credit yeah. me with that phrase often. So Majid Nawaz, uh, who is a British classical liberal uh, thinker, he co-wrote uh, a book with Sam just a few months ago. He actually came up with the phrase. A, okay. lot, a lot of people credit me for it. Uh, and uh, I like giving credit where credit is due. So it was Majid. Uh, but I definitely was probably the one that sort of used it in more, and certainly in the American sense and popularized, and got, and I popularized it, it exactly um so the reason so first off i i like the play on words you know one of the problems i think we're having in the country right now is that everyone's using different language to describe different things people really don't understand what left and right means anymore or liberal or conservative and there's a lot of good reason for that uh partly because trump i'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about this tonight but trump i think has sort of flipped the chessboard where things used to make sense. If you're a conservative, you're on the right. If you're a liberal, you're on the left, et cetera, et cetera. Trump, because of his election, has changed the system so much that none of those things make sense anymore, the traditional labels. So a progressive, so first off, the, the reason they chose progressive, it sounds great. To say I'm a progressive, I'm for progress. Well, who would say I'm not for progress? Everyone's, I'm, I'm a progressive, I'm for progress. It sounds so wonderful. I want to progress with things, okay. Um, while ironically, the phrase conservative actually I think is a really, um, it's an ineffective phrase, especially for young people, because if you're young, the idea I'm conservative, I wear a tie and a jacket and I don't really have fun and I probably don't drink beer or smoke pot or do anything really and that's how I am. Now, so first we should just recognize how words actually just have sort of a subliminal, a subliminal meaning to them. Uh, the reason that I no longer believe the left, the progressives to be for progress is because the left right now in America and, I, and of course, I don't mean every single person on the left. And people love to find to catch you. And if, oh, you didn't see, you mean everybody? No. Of course, there's always exceptions to the rule. But the by and large left, the mainstream left, the mainstream media left, the political left, the Hollywood left, they love judging by groups and by the collective and not by the individual. To be liberal is to, be, is to believe in live and let live. And that's certainly what I believe in. And I want to give maximum amount of liberty to you to live your life how you want to live it and for you to live your life how you want to live in it. And as long as whatever you're doing in your life isn't infringing on my rights of liberty that are given to us by the Constitution, then you can pretty much do whatever you want, in my opinion. I don't – if you make a lot more money than me, hopefully you guys become the biggest radio duo in the history of the world <laughs> and you're rolling in dough, I would have no right to take your money if I made much, uh, much less money than you. 
So the left, by judging, it's ironic, you know, they call all of their conservative counterparts or people on the right or the far right or the alt-right or any of this stuff, uh, they'll always say, well, they're racist, they're bigots, they're prejudiced. But the irony is that the word prejudiced means to prejudge. But if you look at a black person or you look at a Muslim person or a Jewish person or a white person, by the way, or a gay person or whatever else, and you judge them based on their immutable characteristics. If I look at you as a white girl and you as a white guy, and I think that now because of the color of your skin, I can ascertain what your political thoughts are, what your religious beliefs are, et cetera, et cetera. That's actually prejudging. That's actual prejudice. And this ideology has just sort of, it's coalesced around the modern left. And it's not for progress because for progress would be for being for the individual, that it is your life, it is your responsibility to maximize what you can out of your life and get the most happiness within the constructs of the law and all that. So I don't believe they're for progress anymore. What I think they're for is basically splitting us all into these groups, often based, it's why they are obsessed with talking about what your sexuality is or what your color is or what your religion, because they're getting us into these these groups based on collectivist attitudes, but the, the inherent problem and the silver lining, people always ask me, what's the silver lining to this if you don't like this ideology? It, it's based on destruction. It has to eat itself because you always need a new level of oppression. So you, which is why Black Lives Matter, for example, will try to stop a gay pride parade in Toronto because they have to show, ah, see, our oppression is above your oppression. And this competing need for victimhood, victimhood's not a virtue. What's virtuous is working hard for what you want and, and being good and all of those other things. So I think ultimately it will defeat itself. Uh, so that's the silver lining. The period of nihilism or lunacy or whatever else that's going to come if they really gain power, which they, they do have a lot of power right now, I think is a little scary. Um, but just saying you are progressive or for progress, yeah, it's progress of a sort, but it's not the sort of progress that I would be for. Well, I'm just kind of curious to learn in an era of such polarization and then also a growing distrust in mainstream media. Um, do you kind of see a gap for people like yourself who are using YouTube or using uh, podcasts like this one even um, to kind of get a political message out there and um, just kind of to share their thoughts in general? Yeah, there's a huge gap. And I wish, I wish, 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 if I have one regret in life, it was that I was doing what you guys are doing right now when I was in college. Um, and I, I don't know what the hell I was doing. I was playing a lot of basketball and fiddling. I, I don't know what I was doing. I thought I was going to be in the NBA, which is insane. Um, no, I didn't really think so, but I had, I had the dream that I couldn't let no go. No shame, no shame. But yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a damn shame, but I have no shame in it. Yeah. Um, there's a huge opening. It, yeah. It's why what I'm doing is, is working. It's why there, it's why people your age are turning to YouTube far more than they're turning to CNN. Sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give this talk tonight. And when I ask, I'll sometimes ask the crowd, like, how many of you watch cable news? How many of you watch CNN, watch Fox? And it's like crickets. And then you go, well, who do you get your news from? And then I got people going, well, Dave, we, we hear you, even though I'm doing an interview show, but you can get some news out of it. But they'll go, we get it from Phil DeFranco. We get it from Tim Poole, a series of other guys that are independent people just creating on their own, doing the best they can. So it's interesting. There's a great market for this right now. But... Um, as I talked about Batman a moment ago, allow me to loosely quote something from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility, as Uncle Ben said. And now the onus is on these create. I'm just, I'm just some guy that happens to be doing this, and I do the best I can. I'm as honest as I can and decent I can, and I don't lie to my audience. I absolutely make mistakes and all that stuff. Um, 
But the onus is now on the creator to be honest, which I think for a lot of a lot of these people aren't. So, and that's just how it is. It's the wild west out there. You could find somebody. For all you know, you, you know, look any anybody could put on a jacket and a tie and get behind a desk and a green screen and make it look like it's CNN. And I think they can, you know, and you could do clickbait and you can trick people into all sorts of nonsense. And that has a little bit to do with fake news. But at the same time, the mainstream media deserves what's coming to it. They have been so dishonest for so long. They haven't asked the right questions. We had eight years where nobody asked any questions of Obama. And does Trump lie? Of course Trump lies. But you know what? Obama had his red line in Syria and it was run right over. And that's a it's a traditional political lie. Trump lies about all sorts of other things and tweets about all this nonsense and all that. Uh, but the whole game has changed. So in answer to your question, uh, there is a huge opening, uh, but it's a catch-22. Anyone can get in. And the hope is that the cream rises to the top and the people that are doing good work rise to the top. I don't know if that's always the case. And then building off of that, uh, in the months and almost year uh, since Trump has been elected, uh, people have kind of been describing it as a golden age of late night comedy, of uh, the comedy talk shows. And I know you come from at, at least some comedy background. Yeah, I did stand up in New York for 12 years like a crazy person. <laughs> you got to be <laughs> living the life, of crazy. Living the life. Yeah. And so I guess my question is, um, I mean, a lot of people are turning to these comedians for their news just yeah. as they're, you know, turning to YouTube and, and social media. And so I guess my question is that uh, comedy has the ability to make us laugh um, at things that otherwise would be very, you know, disturbing. And it, it helps process, uh, you know, events that can be very traumatic. Um, and then as much fun as that is, um, are there limits to humor where, you know, it's no longer productive um, from which we kind of use it to distance ourselves um, from what's really at hand? Yeah, well, it's interesting because... Uh, to loosely quote Oscar Wilde, if you're going to tell people the truth, you better be funny or they'll kill you. And <laughs> and, I, and that's really it, – it, it, it's such a brilliant quote because it gets to the essence of what comedy is. I mean if you want to say something true, how are you going to go say something truly controversial or thought-provoking or challenging if it's not going to be told in humor first? The, to get mm -hmm. the idea across first, it's very hard to get people to listen. That's You're going to challenge their beliefs, all the things they think about themselves. Uh, if you don't do it with humor, it, it could be a big problem. Now, it's interesting because I think that there's a lot of wisdom out there that would say that we are in some sort of golden age of comedy because they're all going after Trump all the time and all that. And I would argue that it's pretty much almost the reverse, actually, that we've actually fallen into a time where comed comedy and comedians have become partisan. So there are tons of people, uh, some of who I've mentioned before, but I won't throw them under the bus for the purposes of this, but comics that I, that I actually, some of them who I know and admire and whatever, that have all become sort of hysterical Trump derangement syndrome people who, when, when Milo Yiannopoulos, his, when his book was coming out, uh, they were demanding that Simon & Schuster drop the book. I'm pretty sure that that George Carlin, who I would argue is the greatest comic of all time, would have never been for book banning or having a, a publisher drop a book. But comedians have become too partisan. And, and hopefully what you'll see tonight actually is, although I'm not doing stand-up down there, that I've realized that actually the real funny stuff right now is amongst the free thinking. It's amongst the kids probably like you guys who maybe fall a little bit on the classical liberal side, maybe on the libertarian side, but that and it doesn't even matter. Maybe, maybe you guys are lefties or whatever it is. But the what's becoming funny is mocking this hysterical authoritarian craziness. And that all of these people 
think they think they're in Star Wars. They think they're part of the resistance from Rogue One. And it's like, what actually are you resisting? Yes, if you don't like policies of any administration, you should you should protest it. You should get your voice out there. You should actually get some candidates who are actually good to to run. Um, but I think comedy as a general thing is actually not in a great state. Uh, in terms of mainstream, there are some comics that are doing good stuff. I'd say Joe Rogan is probably at the top of that list. And certainly in talking about what we're talking about now, I think Doug Stanhope, a couple other guys. Um, but in terms of late night, well, first off, well, I'll turn it on you guys for a second. How about this? When's the last time you watched a late night comedy program? I have not. I watch John <laughs> Oliver regularly, but yeah. that's about as close as it gets. So you watch a, it's interesting though. So you watch a once a week show that takes that's many months off a too, year yeah. and it's more news based. And what about you? I mean, when's the last time you well, actually watched Fallon or watched? I'll uh, say the last time I watched like a full episode, sat down and watched it, uh, probably a month or so. But yeah. I mean, the highlights will come up in my news feed, so I know that's one big thing uh, right. that that uh, will come up for me and and for my friends. Yeah. So it's a little bit of shifting dynamics. It's mm -hmm. a little bit of how people get their news, and are you getting it on Facebook, or are you going directly to YouTube, or you're watching things on Twitter, or whatever else it is. Um, but I would say the general state, because comedy is supposed to be fighting the power. And I think a lot of these people, they think they're fighting the power when they're fighting Trump. But I would argue that Trump actually is like a symptom to a much bigger societal problem we have. But I don't know that he's even really the power in the traditional sense. It's not Trump doesn't control what's happening on college campuses. Tr Trump doesn't control what's happening in most of academia and most of the media and all of those things. So, yes, he controls a certain part of the government. It happens to be a big part. By the way, it's only a third of the government, although everyone thinks that we've anointed a king here. Um but I would say the general state of comedy is probably not that great at the moment. Okay. And something you mentioned earlier is you do have this show now, The Root Room Report, where you interview a bunch of people. I'm really curious. You bring a lot of people on of very different backgrounds, very different opinions and everything yeah. else who either talk about the news or put their own spin on everything else. How do you make sense of all of these different <laughs> contrasting viewpoints and come up with a coherent understanding for yourself? Yeah. Well, first off, I don't take anything i don't think i've ever once taken anything that anyone has said to me on the show personally so i've had people on the show who have been against gay marriage my show is in my home my studio i have a home studio so i built this in my home where i live with my husband so i this is something that obviously means a lot to me uh but i've had people come on bishop baron from the archdiocese in la and talk to me about why he's not for gay marriage and people were angry at me. How could you let him come in and sit with him and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, do you guys think that the bishop, this guy could potentially be Pope one day. I mean, there's a pretty powerful guy in the Catholic church. Do you think he's going to come on my show and I'm going to say, you know, you really should be for gay marriage and I'm gay married and blah, 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 blah. Do you think that he's going to be like, you know what, Dave, I thought about it and I'm just going to give up all the church's teachings and I'm going to yeah. go ahead and I'm with you. Let's do it. It's absurd. But what you can do is... I let him talk, and what I did was I actually got him to a place where he he basically admitted that his head and his heart aren't in the same place, meaning that his head, his, his intellect was going to the religious teachings, but his heart really, he didn't say it specifically, but the implication was that his heart really wasn't for gay marriage or at least had a lot of empathy for gay people. Now, ironically, he got a lot of crap from right-wing blogs on that, that they said, oh my God, he's reaching out to the gay community or something. So I'm getting anger from the people on the left that are saying I'm being tolerant of somebody. He's getting anger from the people that are saying that he's being too tolerant of me. And that's why most of us are somewhere in the middle and we have to stop listening to the hysterical voices. But I think the key is not not being uh, 
easily offended, not taking it personally, and understanding that the beauty of living in a pluralistic society that we live in, where everyone, you know, we, I truly believe that we live in the greatest country on earth. I would not want to live in any other country. Every one of us, bo both of your ancestors, whether you're three generations here or eight generations here, came here to make a better life for themselves, most likely came with absolutely nothing but a suitcase and did it. And everyone still wants to come to America. Nobody's trying to leave America. Nobody's leaving. Uh, and we, it's funny because we have all these people that want open borders for America. Those are the same people who will tell you how terrible America is. And it's like, well, wait a minute. If America is so evil, why do you want open borders? So I think the key is trying to – I go for intellectual consistency and I try to listen. I, I want to see how people think. And if you let people talk enough, you can see that they either know what they're talking about or they don't. And I think that's, the, that's an easier way – to get information rather than just bringing them in to scream, which I really would, I would do something else for a living if, if that's what I had to do. Definitely. And on that note, I think, um, you know, a lot of people have difficulties, uh, you know, interacting with, you know, not just people their age, but coworkers, uh, people in their life who have different opinions than, than they do. I mean, it's the classic, you know, crazy uncle at the Thanksgiving table. Um, and that's something that uh, a lot of people struggle with. Um, and I think I think we can both agree in our generation that has been kind of a defining issue. Mm -hmm. And so I was just wondering if you had advice for keeping an open mind like that and you know trying to find common ground. Yeah. Most of us want the same simple things. That's really the truth. Most of us want to hopefully find some work that we feel validated in. Most of us want to be in a relationship that, that feels good to us. Most of us want to, you know, maybe make some money mm -hmm. and have sex occasionally and watch some TV <laughs> or whatever it is that you want to do, whatever, whatever gets you off. I, I don't even mean that literally, you know, I mean that just mentally, like whatever, whatever you want to do in your life. And most people don't want to tell everybody how to live. Most people are okay with the concept of live and let live. That's why I, I rail so hard against what's coming primarily from the left these days because this hysterical lunacy of forcing everyone to believe the same thing and to think that based on your immutable characteristics that we should treat you differently is the reverse of what the American experiment is. And this thing is just an experiment. It's an experiment that's in process right now. And it's, it's worked really well for a long time. Not to say that we haven't done bad things and no country's perfect, but for the most part, it's, it's done more good for more people probably than any other nation in the history of Earth. So because of that, we have the responsibility really to keep fighting for that. And I think the way you do that, it, it isn't by telling everyone that they're racist and it isn't by telling everyone they're a transphobe or other things. But it's by sitting across the table from whoever that crazy uncle is or whoever that person is and saying, I'm here, you're here. We both got to live here. So how do we get to a common place? And you know what? It, it, you may be uh, pro-choice and you may be pro-life. Well, OK, that's a that's a healthy that's all that is, is a political debate. It, it's a profoundly impactful, important topic to talk about and figure out what you think about. But that's all it is. It's a political debate. And we have to live in the same country with people that have differing views. The alternative, I mean, what are, what are they proposing as the alternative? We're all going to be beaten into submission. And then what, what happens? So then they, they take power with all these ideas and everyone, you know, they push down everybody else. Well, how tolerant are they going to be of dissent? So we have to be very careful. That's why I talk about the college campus thing. That's why I'm here tonight, because you guys are... You phrased the question perfectly, actually. It, your generation seems to be struggling with this in a different in a different way than I think previous ones did. 
and uh, the onus is on you. It's pressure on you guys, but uh, hopefully you'll be up to the task. Thank you for that. And then on a final note, we always like to end with a question of we're all students. We're trying to figure out our path in life. What is your personal definition of success? And how do you what advice do you have for students for how they can be successful in their lives? Well, I'm sure everybody that you bring in says do what you love or mm -hmm. something to that effect. And of course, you have to do what you love. You have to wake up with a sense of purpose and, and do something. But doing what you love, everyone thinks that means, well, OK, and then I'm going to be an NBA player. or I'm going to be an actor or whatever. But, you know, there are people that gen that are out there. First off, your work shouldn't encompass everything that you do. So you could be a ditch digger during the day. Mm -hmm. But if if you volunteer or, or have a great family or coach your kid's softball team or whatever it is you do, and that makes you feel full and everything. And it's, it's the challenge for everybody. And we all fail at it all the time. Like I'm doing what I love to do. I get to meet people like you guys all the time. It's incredible. I get, I get validation when I walk down the street, you know, people send me nice notes all the time. They also send me crazy, hysterical, psychotic <laughs> notes. Um, but you can't, t but all your value can't be just wrapped up in your work. So yeah. I think the key thing is that you basically, I think more than anything else, maybe figure out how to think, figure out how to think for yourself. And don't listen to the people who are trying to tell you how to think. Figure out how to think for yourself. And I'm pretty sure that if you, if you trust your own intellect, that it won't ever steer you in a, in a really horrific way. You will make mistakes for sure. And we all do. And everyone has regrets and does, you know, look back and go, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. But if you trust your intellect, yeah, something's going to go wrong. And you know what? One day when it goes really wrong, then you can reevaluate. But beyond that, trust it for a while and see what happens. And uh, and don't listen to the people who want to control you. That that would be the main thing. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you again, Dave, for coming in. And uh, for all our listeners out there, stay hungry. <laughs>